Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. As a Canadian, whether you like the game or not, hockey will come into your life in some capacity. Whether you played it as a child, grew up watching it as a family tradition, it is in our blood, some more than others. So buckle in for a full three periods as we chat with Ottawa Senators General Manager Pierre Dorian. So welcome to episode 44 of Living Your Life with Leanne Lang, the podcast brought to you by Extension Marketing. And of course, for more information, you can always head to extensionmarketing.com. So I'm going to be pretty clear. This isn't about power plays or penalty kills or trade deadlines or the trade or the signing of certain players or the X's and the O's of this game. This podcast is really about hockey as a way of life, how it is ingrained in us and what people are looking for, what this is truly all about. And we're getting it from someone whose life has really uh, revolved completely, even as a child around hockey. So Pierre, I'm so happy to have you here. It's great to be here. I'm I'm very interested to see where this chat goes. Yeah, me too, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I I, got to say right off the bat, I give you full credit because a lot of the media interviews that you have done over the last couple of months, not always fun. No, the, the subject matters haven't been always a lot of fun to discuss. And sometimes it's been uh, stuff that you really you want to talk about. Other things you have to talk about because they're hockey related and Ottawa centers related. But uh, this might be a bit different. I'm looking forward to it. I love this. This is great. And I, I think what I appreciated is that there was a, an honest kind of excitement to maybe kind of discuss more things that are a little bit more personal uh, and a little bit more for people, people to understand kind of where people are coming from when they're put in these kinds of positions. Yeah, and, you know, I'm, I got a girlfriend, I got kids, I live a life, I drive around Ottawa, people honk at me sometimes, sometimes people give me a certain finger. So it's all a matter of, uh, you know, living here and doing what you need to do and, you know, just living a day-to-day lifestyle in Ottawa, but I can tell you I really enjoy it. Okay, and this isn't something that's new to you. You have grown up around the game, uh, even as, you know, as a child. This was part of your family life. Your dad mm-hmm. it was a scout. So kind of take us through, like, where, where was childhood? What was that really like for you? And, and was there a, were you an athlete? Did you love playing sports? Like, oh. what was that like? Uh, obviously, um, just the last part of your question, obviously, I've always been an athletic person, really played all kinds of sports through high school, played football for our high school team. Uh, I was a pretty good badminton player, um, played a lot of tennis as a kid, uh, obviously played hockey also. Uh, I'm trying to think what like, else. Like, okay, where was home? Home was always Orleans. Okay, I, like I, this I, is I, people need to understand, like born and raised here. Born and raised here, except for the, uh, when I was in grade six, that would have been 83, 84, we lived in North Bay. My dad took a job with the North Bay Centennials as an assistant GM. That didn't work out. We came back to, to Orleans. Um, I'm, I lived in, on Ennis Road growing up when there was no Fallingbrook, no Queenswood Heights. Uh, it was big fields with mounds of um, groundhogs. 
that's what was that was the backyard actually essentially i i can see it you know it's funny because when you do when you grow up in the city and you see how it evolved i i mean i remember the construction of hunt club like Mm -hmm. a hunt club road like that was farmland you know so when you talk about kind of growing up on innis and now you see box stores like lined up for for miles but it was very different growing up back there yeah yeah so been not all my whole life but it's something that i've like i'm so proud of being from here i'm so proud of how this city's grown over the last few, over the last, you know, Four 40 decades. years, if we have 40 years. Um, so no, I, so I did a lot of sports growing up. Uh, my father um, got in coaching fairly early. I remember I used to go to, I was a young kid. I used to go see the Vanny 72s play. And then he was a coach with the Gloucester Rangers. Uh, he always coached with a gentleman by the name of Lauren Woods, who is probably the person that m- my father respected the most for what I can remember. Uh, he was, Lauren was also a CFL referee. Um, so and, hockey. Yeah. And CFL. Yeah. You can't get more Canadian than no, that. No, 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 no. That's, that was the gentleman that my, one of my dad's best friends. Um, and then um, we, he was uh, with uh, Central Scouting for a long time. He was the head scout of Central Scouting, then went with the Leafs before he passed away. So I was always uh, around the game of hockey. Okay. You have fast forwarded it like way too much. So I'm going to come back to some of the topics that you just mentioned. But you had said, okay, so through school, you're playing, you're playing football and then badminton. Yeah. And then, like, I mean, you and had, hockey. And hockey. Like you had your foot in and a little bit of yeah, everything. Yeah. Was there anything that you had hoped to truly excel at or you were, you liked just being an all around kind of just yeah, hanging, I, I, trying I out for teams? I wasn't very good at, I remember our high school football team. I think we, when it was in grade 13 or 12, I'm trying to forget. No, grade 12. Uh, we didn't win a game, and I was a quarterback, and I was awful. And um, our hockey team was good. I, I played that in grade 13. I hadn't played hockey for a few years. Just wasn't enjoying it as much, and that was a lot of fun. I remember we went to Europe. Uh, I went to Garneau High School. We went to Europe in our grade 13, and we were 18 at the time. So I remember the teachers letting us, uh, giving us a bit more freedom. And one time, I think it was in I forget where in France we went out, the the six guys in grade 13, and we came back a bit late with a few more drinks in us than probably we should have had it in us, but the teachers were really good about it. So. Did you have a game to play the next day? No, no, no. We would yeah. never done that, so <laughs> even at that young age. So, so I, I, I knew I wasn't going to be an NHL hockey player. I knew um, that I was never going to play probably sports professionally. So my dad always instilled in me to go to university. So I went to Ottawa U for three years. And after that, I found my career path into the world of hockey. Okay, but you're you're talking, you know, as you're growing up, your dad is a scout. Mm-hmm. So is your dad home often? No. I, I mean, let's be realistic. And we're getting into kind of, you followed a very similar career yeah. path. Scout Scouting isn't being home every night at six o'clock for dinner. No, that, that's probably the biggest downside is uh, when you're a scout, it's probably the least glamorous job uh, in the business because you're gone and you're doing all the legwork. You barely get any credit for all the work you do. And you set the foundation for the team a lot of times. And you're never home. Um, I always tell, my daughter is going to turn 17. And I think I've missed 12 or 13 of her birthdays. Just because, not as many in the last few years, but just because you're always in the month she... She's going to turn uh, 17 uh, in February. So it's just the way that it is because you're always on the road. But your dad was always on the road. Yeah, my dad so was always was on the road. was dad missing birthdays? Was oh, dad, dad missing every Dad, dad was missing hockey games when I was playing. 
Uh, dad was missing uh, birthdays. Dad was mass- missing family events. Uh, it was just, it, it, it's almost sad to say, but it got to be the norm, uh, which was un- unfortunate because you miss your father growing up. You miss the father-son moments that you wish you could have had. Uh, so it, it, it's a part of the, the job that's not a lot of fun, and it happens with a lot of families that their parents travel for work. Did you resent it a little bit? Like, did you resent that he was out trying to look at other young men playing this, you know, the <laughs> no, sport? Like, no, and be- wasn't there for you? No, because I understood that that was the job. From an early age, I was able to understand that that was the job that he was in. Obviously, he was really good at balancing it out because when he was home, he'd try to give as much time to his kids as he could. But at the same time, it, at times it got to be more difficult. It always got to be more difficult around February or March when you hadn't seen him starting in September all the way to that point in mm-hmm. time. So that's what made it a bit more difficult. Were you asking him at that point, like, hey, Dad, like when you're out at these games, like what are you looking for? Like are you asking him questions even as a young boy to understand his job or what made him such a good scout? Actually, that's a great question. I did. I did a lot of that. I'd always ask him, you know, what are you looking for in players and what, ex- you know, what are you scouting for? And I remember always having a great conversation when he just joined uh, Toronto. He'd worked for Central Scouting. He was their head scout for many years. And he, we, we had a maybe, I don't want to say an hour conversation, maybe 30 minutes or 40 minutes. I always remember about the distinction now that he was going to have to, before he just ranked the players, now he was going to make selections to make the Maple Leafs better. Right, okay, so when you're working for Central Scouting, mm-hmm. which is he was head of Central Scouting, yeah. he, was, he was looking broad spectrum. Yes. And, 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 combine, and, and figuring out which of these players that all the scouts had pretty much seen and ranking as to where they were going to fall in the lineup. Yes, exactly. Okay. And when he went with the Leafs, well, then he was their chief scout there, and then he was making selections to make the Leafs better. So when you're asking him about his the central scouting, what questions are you asking then, and then how did they differ once he was in a different position? Well, well at that point in time, uh, I'm trying to remember how many teams there were, um, but it was a lot of times that central scouting was, you know, how, if there were 21 teams or 26 teams or whatever it was, he goes, I'm just trying to find players and list them and how we feel is the best order that they'll play in the NHL one day. There was no specific needs, whoever was going to be the best player. While with the Leafs, it was more about, you know, we might have specific needs and how uh, at that time the Leafs weren't very good to how to build that team into a better team. Okay, so when you ask him, what are you looking for in a player? What like what were those answers? Because if you're saying even now, remembering mm. this conversation oh, yeah. that many years later, uh, what did you find interesting about it? Um he always, my father was really high on character and unselfish players. Uh, as much as you can have all the talent in the world, if you don't have those traits, it's it's tough to succeed in a lot of things in life. And for him, that was always important. But then, but then it always came back that I remember in that conversation, I said, well, do you ever say a player will never play? He goes, very rarely, because you never know how much a player can improve. Now, 99 out of 100 might not improve as much, but that one guy that you thought you could have said will never play, well, he improved and worked at it so much that he be- he became a player. So it kind of like gave me perspective on things that you never should eliminate someone so early in the process. Like the underdog. Yeah, exactly. Do you appreciate the underdog? Oh, I love the underdog. Uh, you, you know, there's something to be said about the underdog, the one that no one gives any credit to, no one 
thinks will ever play one day uh, and their effort and their ability to just thrive under difficult circumstances can make him uh, have a chance to play one day. So when your dad is talking to you about looking for that unselfish player or the character of a player, how is he distinguishing that? How is he able to see that uh, from the stands looking down on the ice? Well, I think it comes from being able to read the game. And I think it's something that I was very fortunate to be gifted and through conversations and through learning and through observing that uh, obviously uh, unselfish players is a player that is willing to make the right pass at the right time. Uh, someone who makes the right play, I think it has some hockey sense to do with it. But at the same time, you know, it's a guy on a two-on-one who looks to pass to the other guy and not take the shot that goes over the net. So there's always the, it's always framing it in every different situation. Like the context of Yes, like the, that, context, the context that. of it. So you have these conversations with your dad. Did he ever come home and, and kind of say, I found this? I found this gem or like, was there, like uh, yeah, there, there were conversations yeah. like that, not into specifics, but you could tell there sometimes, you know, cause at a certain point I was still in high school. So you're doing homework a bit later, you're in university and I was, I went to Ottawa U. So I'd come back home and you know, you're doing homework later or whatever. And he'd come back home from a game out of in Montreal or somewhere in Kingston, and you end up talking about the game. And not they were specific on players' names, but just you know, I saw this one guy tonight that I, you know I didn't see this earlier in the year. So there were great conversations to have. You go to Ottawa U. Mm-hmm. What did you study? Uh, social sciences. Okay, you took a second there to be like, "What did I study?" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> did you did you know heading in that were you know you needed to just get a some university classes in there and get this degree because you knew what you wanted to do? Like, at what point did you realize that you might be following in your father's footsteps? Uh, Probably uh, end of high school into university. For him, it was very important that I went to university. It was, he goes, no matter what you're going to do in life, you have to go to university. And whether it was university, college, whatever, it goes, you have to do something uh, post-secondary. So... Um, after um, I finished university, which I haven't graduated, I'm one course away from graduating. And uh, you're one course yeah, away. Yeah, I'm one course away from graduating. And what, what happened was I was doing that course in the summer. I I had a hard time with a certain course at Ottawa U, and then so I just dropped it. So in the summer I was taking it, and that's the summer my father passed away, and I never got a chance to finish it. So you're a credit shy. Yeah, I think a it's... A course shy. Yeah, a course. Of the social studies. Yeah. Like your certificate. Yeah. Can I ask what the class is? Uh, you... No, because I took a different class. And I forget what it was. Now we're going back a long time, but... You were finishing though, and then you had something lined up. Because at that at that point, did you know after kind of summer that you had a job yes, that you're going to be getting into? Yeah, I was going to, my father told me that Montreal wanted to interview me and I started with him part-time and then I started, started working for Montreal part-time in September and my father passed away um, in, at the end of June and I, and I was completing the course was a, I think from a May to, or was it a June to I forget it was exactly. Over that, it was, it over, was that. over that time. 
So when I was looking at, you know, when I was going over your your file, you know, yeah. it's amazing what you find on the Google machine. Um, I saw that your father had passed. So he passed in 1994. Yes. Um, and so I, you know, looking at numbers going, gosh, you were... You were really young. Yeah, I was 22 years old at the time. And and I was like, oh, we had we had such parallels because I had I had really you were just starting into your career. I for me, I had just started. I lost my dad very similar, uh, you know, in actually in June also of, of a heart attack. Yours dad was a heart attack. Yes, it was. He was in my. I thought my dad was young. My dad had just turned 57 the day yeah. before. Your dad had was just shy of 50. Yeah, three weeks shy of 50. Where were you? Like, where did you get the call? Like, this is such an uh, unexpected... Oh, that, that, I, that I remember like it was yesterday. Uh, we went to a house party. I ended up going to my friend Al's place. I was sleeping in the basement. And I could... I, and I told... Uh, I think I told my mom or my brother at the time. I'm, I'm going to sleep at Al's place. And I could hear the phone ringing, like starting at four or three or four in the morning or two. I, I don't know. The phone kept on ringing through the house. And it was my brother trying to reach me. Back then, this was 1994, cell phones and mm. texting and wasn't going on. And I kept hearing the phone and it kept on ringing, ringing. Like it felt like it rang for hours. And at about, I forget what time. It was four. I was wearing contact lenses that I didn't put on. My brother said, uh, Dad's at the hospital. He didn't tell me that he passed away. So I said, okay. He said, I said, what hospital? It was uh, Montfort Hospital. I got in the car, just drove like a madman. I got there and I started talking to him. And it's one of the surreal things. He was passed away and I was talking to him. I just thought he was kind of like sleeping or something had happened. And that's when it clicked that he passed away. So it was uh, it was a tough moment. Very tough moment. I like. I'm feeling like I. I had like a similar call, like one, like yeah, very similar to that. Like something like you, you know, something happened to dad. You got to get to the hospital, and yeah. it's kind of like you get there, and then there's just this. They're just lying there, right? Yeah. And, they're, and they're, their body's still warm, like there was still a yeah. warmth, and then. It, yeah, and you're so young to grasp, like to grasp this. Like, was was this a sudden? Like, had there been? No, issues no and where no. was he where was your dad when this he happened? was he was in um he was in bed beside my mom it was around midnight or twelve thirty. he was the honorary uh president of local sports tournament my mom said the last things he said to him goes he goes i figured out the game of golf which every man thinks he has when he's played a good round of golf or every person i should say and uh that's uh and then he had the heart attack in the bed they the ambulance came, and then I think from about 1 o'clock on, I think my brother, or maybe it would have been about from 2 o'clock on, I think my brother was trying to reach me. And I remember I was at Al's place, and the phone I could hear the phone ring in the house, and, and I was in downstairs in the basement, and I finally went and picked it up. Your mom, I mean, so it was a good marriage. Like, oh, it was like, a great marriage. And, and so, I, you know, it, it was so young. Was it... Do you look back and go, was it the lifestyle? Was it just a heart disease was just... No, uh, heart attacks are, are prevalent in our family. Uh, um, on his, on my grandmother's side, I think she had two brothers that died of heart attacks. 
I think her dad died of a heart attack. So my dad was an only child. He's had a heart attack. So. Oh, God, Pierre, I'm sorry, but it doesn't like... Are you doesn't ever, look good for me. <laughs> are, are, you know, like, yeah, are you ever... I mean, and, and you're going through... Let's be realistic. When they say stress is a massive indicator, yeah. like, are you ever kind of going through some scenarios like over the last couple months and you're thinking, this is not good for my heart right now? Yeah, like, no, I like, had... does that, I mean, it has to, it has to cross your, your mind. Yeah, I, I can tell you a few times over the last six months, it's definitely gone through my mind. But uh, one thing I've really put an effort into, especially I'd say in the last six months, is uh, I really, watch my diet much better i've tried to work out more regularly but if that's difficult to do um i had a stress test a few years ago in an echogram and i think the stress test i was at 97 percent or whatever it was have you taken a stress test no lately? not no i don't even want to go close to that <laughs> I, I don't even want to go close to that but no but uh, you know what i'm happy so that i think that helps um, I've got the greatest job in the world, I feel like. So I, stress comes with it. But I, I, I think in, in whatever walks of life you have, I've learned to deal with it. And I don't let much stuff linger, which I think really helps. That, you, that you're able to not allow things to linger. And oh, I just move on. They, don't, they just don't pester you. Like, no, no. That, I think that's huge. And it, it, it says a lot about the personality needed, especially for the career choices that you have made. So you, you don't finish this class mm-hmm. after your dad passes away. How is your mom, your brother, like how is the family coping and dealing with when it's so, so sudden? Uh, it was tough. It was tough. Um, I have a brother who's three months younger. He's my cousin who became my brother. My mom and his mom were sisters. She passed away when he was four, so he came to live with us. So... I'm five foot eleven. He's six foot four. At one time, he was about four hundred pounds. Now he's closer to three hundred. So we're totally different, but we've been brothers. So it, it was he wasn't his um, he wasn't his paternal father, but it was his dad. So he took it tough. I have a younger sister that's six years younger than me, and she took it tough. But the one that it was the toughest on, I have a ten uh, ten years younger brother. And so he would have been 12. He was 12. He actually hadn't turned 12 yet. And he took it the toughest. And, you know, he always, like, and, you know, I'd live a lot of my youth with my dad around, at least in the summer. You had he, him. Yeah. He hadn't, like, he hadn't seen, like, as much as, like, through all these times where he hadn't had him. So, obviously, he was the one that he, he always feel the hardest for. Obviously, my mom, too. She lost her life partner. But... Uh, you always, you know, the person that you always felt the most for was my younger brother, Mark. You talk about that because you, you do, you talk about you had had that many more summers mm-hmm. of having your dad around, mm-hmm. like of having to the catch up time. Yeah. Uh, and your younger brother was robbed of that. He yeah. hadn't, he, and especially to at that age, he was finally kind of able to hang out and talk and, ha- and, and build a, a new relationship. Yeah. Did you take on a, a bit of a fatherly role, or, or yeah. like you were at that point? We're about to embark on your career, right? Yeah. You're heading, to doing work for Montreal. I didn't wouldn't say a fatherly role because that wouldn't be right. Um, I just tried to be there, but I think my other brother uh, Chris really was out, really helped more because I was starting to travel more, and it's not like I just didn't have the time to to do that. 
and not that I didn't want to do that, but you know, you always try to be helpful and be around and uh, make sure you can be supportive. You then head off to take on the job with Montreal uh, mm-hmm. and you, you're amateur scouting. Yes. Okay. You're now sitting in the stands doing exactly what your dad had done. Are you, are you hearing your dad talking to you? Are you, are you? Yeah, I, I did. I did. Uh, more early on, um, it, it was more, uh, it was more, the weirdest thing I can explain to you is that at times I felt he was with me and at other times I'd almost feel he didn't want to be with me because he wanted me to learn by myself. So there are times where you felt that there was some guidance there, and there are other times where you felt you needed guidance that he was probably doing on purpose so you would learn by yourself. So that's, you know, the way I felt at times. And sometimes the best way to grow up in whatever endeavor that you're embarking on is to have some kind of independence and learn by yourself. And I think, you know, there was some kind of balance I felt from uh, divine intervention above that one way or the other. What were the years like then in scouting for Montreal? Like it was how, fun. Yeah, you, know, you were there I, a long time. Yeah, I was there for uh, over ten years, and it was it was great. I got to be the youngest chief scouting in the NHL at twenty six years old, um, for you know one of the most storied franchises in the league, which was a lot of fun. Um, Why I, do you think they gave you that? I mean, that's a big position for such uh, a young man. Uh, had you distinguished yourself? Like, had you? Yeah, I don't know if I distinguished myself, but they. One thing ab- about how I do things, I always try to outwork anyone else, and I think that might impress them. I think I had a good hockey background, hockey knowledge as far as evaluations. They saw that I was thorough. They saw that I wasn't afraid to give opinions. And sometimes, when it comes to a certain time in the draft, you got to say it's this guy or this guy. I was never afraid to give uh, my opinion, but at the same time. Um, there's, there were times where I think I established that I knew what I was talking about and that's what they, they, they saw in me. You could make the decision at the, yeah. if it was, you know, you're sitting at that table and he's yeah. got, you've got 10 seconds to pick between this one and this one. Yeah. yeah. And you that, felt, you had the confidence to say, this is, this is why. Yes. And ultimately that's helped me make decisions in the position that I am now. Because uh, you, you have a lot of times you got to make decisions. A trade on trade deadline day, you have thirty seconds to pull the trigger, and you say yes or no. And you know things are moving so fast, and so that's all these things that you've been. I've been making decisions since I've been in my mid twenties. Okay, were there ever ones made young that you look back on now? Oh my god! <laughs> and go. Had I known yes, or what uh, I would have said to my younger self. Yeah, that's the, that's my favorite thing of all time. When I see people that get changed jobs or get fired, and say, "If I know, I would have done exactly the same." Well, I, I don't believe in that because I think we all get through better through our mistakes. And what can you can you pinpoint one that was a big learning oh, lesson for doubt, you? Um, the probably one of the, my biggest mistakes in my first year as chief scout. We took Eric Schwinnard instead of Simo Gagne. And nothing personally against uh, Eric Schoenard. Both players were great people. One turned out to have a great NHL career, and the other one had a marginal NHL career. And it was my first year as Chief Scout of Montreal Canadiens. And that was the choice that we were about to make. Both were French uh, kids from Quebec City, and we ended up making the wrong one, and I made that call. You were certain about it then? Oh, without a doubt. So, So where do you... 
where does that experience come from? In hindsight, you can see it. But are you, are you in that position again with two kids very similar? What would you have taken from that decision um, that you look at it differently? Well, obviously, one had more pace than the other one. One skated better than the other one. Uh, obviously, we thought one was a better goal scorer than the other one, but it turned out to be the other way around. Um, one player probably had a bit more internal drive than the other player. And Which some, is so key. Yeah, I know. That's and, your, your underdog that yeah. you talk often about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the underdog and the character. And both players had character, but in, in a different way. And you learn from that. You know, you learn from that. You, and ultimately, that probably ended up making some better selections for Montreal as we moved on. Or when I was with the New York Rangers, that helped also. And with Ottawa, ultimately, at the end of the day. Yeah. So you go from Montreal, mm-hmm. then you spend a little bit of time with the New York Rangers before yeah. coming actually uh, to, to Ottawa and um, in a similar position because there was a lot of scouting that was done for the Ottawa Senators. Yeah. Along this time, you get married. Yeah. You have some kids. Yeah. Okay, so let's take a little break from hockey for a second. Okay, so you're now living a very similar life to your dad. Yeah. You found love. You're gonna mm-hmm. do this, but so how how did that all evolve? Because you were pretty young. Yeah, the, the, the toughest part for me was that um, a, a lot of my friends. How could I say it? After university, you know, they were with their high school sweethearts or girls they met in university. With my busy lifestyle, it was tough to establish relationships. You know, I'd have I'd have some relationships. You know, through high school and through university but it was tough to maintain them to where you could give the other person as much attention or love or whatever you know what they need to make your relationship uh, thrive so i uh i met my first and only wife to this point uh she was working at the bank and we just always talked when i went there and um because we like talking to tellers. Yeah, there yeah. There was a time when we would go to the bank and you yeah, would talk to the teller. I, I, yeah. So, so did you go to the bank more often? Yes, like, I did. Like, okay, I was going to yeah, say, yeah, you were making more trips than you needed to? Most likely. Okay. Um, almost being too obvious. And anyways, we had um, good... Um, I used to time it so I'd go to her teller and she used to oh, time like it. You would actually have to count the people. Like, there's yeah, three tellers was, over uh, and I'm... Yeah, yeah okay. And um, we met, um, we started dating, uh, it went well, um, and then uh, we had our daughter, Vanessa. Uh, we dated for about, uh, if I'm, I don't want to, we started dating in about, was it two, we had our daughter, Vanessa, we started dating in about 2000, okay. and we had our daughter, Vanessa, in 2002, we got married in 2003. And uh, we had our son in 2005. So at this point, you're already in. You're into this for 10 years. Into yeah, into the, scouting. Into scouting. Yeah. So she she kind of knows what she's getting. No, into. and I okay. and I explained yeah. it to her very very well. Like this is the lifestyle, and you know, at the start, when you don't have kids, it's almost fun because she could work uh, from 12 to 8, I think, at the bank. So. I could come back late. We could spend the morning a bit together and then I'd be gone. And, um, but when you start having kids, it's a bit tougher. And, you know, to me, it was just like, are you sure you want to get into this? And she had no problems getting into it. At this point, do you have aspirations? I mean, I, as you know, you're moving through the system and you've gone from Montreal to the Rangers, to the Sens, uh, you're in the scouting position. Like, are you thinking, 
Not if at I all. stick with this organization, I'm going to go to this job. No. So you're, were you, you were content, like you were happy or you, you loved what you were doing. I, a lot of times our fathers are our heroes. My father, the highest position he ever became was chief scout, chief amateur scout for the Toronto Maple Leafs. When I got to be that at Montreal at 26, that's what I wanted to be for the rest of my life. And then I just became a scout for the Rangers, and I got hired in Ottawa as chief scout for the um, Ottawa Senators. And the really, the, I, it never dawned on me that I wanted to be a director of player personnel or an assistant general manager, or even general manager. It, it never. I was happy where I was, doing what I thought I believed I really enjoyed. I would say too, because they're two very different aspects to the game. Mm-hmm. Well, they, what, they are. Would you say? I mean, when you when you look at the breakdown of how you appreciate the game, and I think this is for for anyone in any sport. If you're if you're scouting for NFL kids or you're a baseball scout, right? When you're there, you are you are ingrained in the game and and the plays and how a kid is developing and looking at as mm-hmm. you mentioned character and if they're a selfless player. It changes drastically when you're then looking at dotting the I's, crossing the T's, the X's mm. and O's, and the financial value yeah. of everything. It, it changes your perspective oh, hey. completely. And were you prepared for that? Like, so I don't want to say lose sense of one side of the game to have to take on mm. another, but, no, there, but there's sacrifice with that. Well, what I was very fortunate with the centers is that um, when I got to be there, it wasn't a big front office staff. And Brian, there was Brian Murray, and then Tim Murray was the assistant GM, and we had Brent Flair as director of hockey operations. They let me in on a lot of um, contract stuff, not negotiations, but contract prep, budgets, especially when Brent left to go to Minnesota two years in. And both Brian and Tim really let me learn the business side of it as far as... Um, everything else as far comes as far as administration and that prepared me so much better for when I got to be an assistant GM okay but at that point are you going I don't know Brian do I really need to learn yeah. all of this because I got to go scout a game right yeah now. do they, I need to be learning this at some point yeah mm-hmm. I, I did I, I wasn't sure I, I was the type uh, because I really you get to a routine that you really enjoy being on the road you really enjoy what you're doing, even though you're not getting a lot of glory for it. Um, you're really enjoying it, and but at the same time, there is a family aspect to it, where you knew you'd spend probably a bit more time at home, and mm. that was good. And then I had a good friend of mine, and he said, "Pierre, uh, he's a lawyer in Orleans. He's my best friend, uh, Mike," and he said to me. He's, a, he's got his own business partner. He goes, is this what you want to be remembered at as a scout? He goes, your dad was a scout. And that was great. He's got a great legacy. But don't you feel you can offer more? And that's when I started saying, you know what? I probably can. Are you offering more to the game? Are you offering more to the team? Or are you offering more to your family? This podcast is brought to you by Extension Marketing. They're a new breed of marketing agency that acts as your virtual marketing department, designing and implementing cost-effective marketing strategies that will grow your business. I can speak to this personally, as I've been using the Extension Marketing team to help me launch and grow my business. Founder Pat Whalen has been a lifesaver for me, a genuine coach guiding me along the way into uncharted territory. Tell them you're a friend of the show and receive a free one-hour consultation. Check them out at extensionmarketing.com.
uh, him, it was more about, are you offering more to the game to a certain degree, but it was more, can you do more to help your team? That was what it was about. And it kind of like, it always, that conversation always struck a chord in me. You know, if you can push yourself to new challenges and you can rise in those challenges, why not try? You might fail at him, but at least you tried for it. You have friends like this. Is this Mike yeah. from Orleans? Who yeah. Lawyer? yeah. Uh, was it important? Like, did, did you be able to have um, a good foundation? You know, I find people when they get to a certain position, right? People are always needing something from mm-hmm. them. <laughs> that's well said. Is that well said? Yes, that's very well said. <laughs> are you grateful for the relationships that you have that were that were very concrete prior to the positions that you have been oh, maintained yeah, I, uh, for gra- like a grounding purposes. Yes. Uh, oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. Uh, I have probably the same since grade 11. I went to a private school for boys in grade nine, grade 10 in Cornwall, like a little town outside of Cornwall called Summerstown. So I'll just say since grade 11, I probably have the same group of eight friends that we're still all very close to each other and that hasn't changed and for me it's not um pierre the general manager of the ottawa centers it's pierre the guy that sometimes is a bit immature and a bit crazy and likes to have fun um and and what made it so special i just got to tell you the story the most heartfelt thing that my friends have ever done for me is They didn't surprise me, but when I got nominated for GM of the Year two years ago, they all came to Vegas. And and in their way, they all came. And my good friend Mike said, well, we're coming because you'll never get nominated again. (laughs) And we're coming because you know you're not going to win. And he goes, yeah, and it's Vegas too. So those are the three reasons we're coming. So these kids, these these friends from grade 11 stuck with you, have been there. Yeah. Yeah, ever since. That's amazing. Can I just say, like, any time between, like, May, June of this year and, I don't know, let's say September, did you ever get a text that was, like, WTF? Like, oh, did you yeah. have a couple of those? <laughs> I got a few of them. I got a few of them. Uh, if you need to come and have a few beers at yeah. my place, you're welcome. If you need to ever talk. And uh, the good thing about a lot of my close friends, you know, um, is that I could – tell them the deepest secrets of the Ottawa centers, which I don't do, and I know it would never get anywhere. Uh, sometimes we do need com- confident. Yeah, like, confident. Uh, a com- yeah, a confidant. Yep. And I don't do it, but I know if I ever needed to, uh, I could tell them and no- nothing would ever get told. I, there's an outlet, I think, for any individual uh, and to be able to have that, that it wasn't within, you know, but yeah. that there could be, you look at the text and it's like a WTF yeah. and hey, if you need a beer, like yeah. it's not going, what are you doing? It's yeah. if you need the drink or if you need the beer, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll sit I back. have one good friend, uh, JF, he's high up in the government, really high up in the government. And he's always a good sounding board for stuff like that. And he texts me, you know, if you need some time, we don't need to talk hockey if you want to talk life. You know, you can come and see me and, you know. And yeah, because you're getting honked at by the car next to you yeah. <laughs> with fingers being, I can't, you know, it's, yeah. is it hard to read things? Like, do you read? Are you listening? Like, are you listening to the Team 1200? Are you reading the papers? Like, does is it something that you're looking at or? Um, I do read the papers. I'm not going to mislead you there. Uh, I read both the French and English paper. 
I used to start by the back section. Now I start by the front section and I work my way through, which has made me more um, knowledgeable about what's going on in the world. Um, TSN 1200, it depends. Um, in the morning, I don't... It depends. Some mornings I do... It depends uh, on your mind. Is it yeah, based but, on your mindset that day? If you yeah, can handle but it or not? I, I got a one thing I learned from Brian Murray. He he put country in his car all the time. Good, old, I love country <laughs> music. And I, I'm Brian Murray listened to country. He was Brian, country music. All the, but the uh, old stuff like the Willie oh, Nelson, like the, the twangy stuff. Yeah, the twangy oh, stuff. Yeah. I wasn't as much, but I yeah. I love country too. So I got to be careful, but. Um, I wasn't as much into the old stuff, but it taught me a lesson that you can't listen to the outside noise and to be affected by it. Like the best story I could ever tell you, not that we want to dwell into hockey, is I remember when we traded for Alex Burroughs. For us, we thought it was a character guy we needed to help us in our get to the playoffs and get to the playoff run. And I always remember we were in Tampa Bay and I was so happy about the trade um, our pro scouts, everyone seemed really happy. Coach was ecstatic about the trade. I'm walking over to the rink and I'm saying, I'm going to face the meeting. Brian Morris goes, Oh, Pierre, it's bad. So what do you mean? It's bad. Oh, you gave up a prospect. I say, yeah, but we're going for it. We got a lot of prospects. He goes, Oh, it's not really well. received." I said, okay, I'll handle it. And we were in Tampa. So I didn't read the paper for the next two, three, four days. And then a few days after we made the Stahlberg trade and Stahlberg really helped us get into the playoffs. I think Burroughs helped us more when we got into the playoffs and probably if I would have read what everyone said about Burroughs, then probably would have made the Stahlberg deal. And I don't know if we would have been able to have as much success as where we went. So, so you were grateful for being in Tampa yeah. where hockey isn't front page. No, I, I didn't have access yeah, to the paper. Yeah, I could have yeah. went and read it online, but there were so many other things. So to me, I've told that story to, that story to a few people saying you can't let outside noise affect what you're doing. Now, whether it was a good trade, bad trade, you know, whatever it helped us, that's to be debated. Uh, you know, not every move that you make is going to be the best move for the team. But it just gets back to your point that Sometimes when you're in position that we're in, uh, where you lead a, an operation where it's so public that you can't let the outside noise affect you. You have people within that you rely on and you count. And at the end of the day, you have to make the call, but you can't let the outside noise dictate what you need to do. You say that a lot of that came from Brian Murray. Yeah, it did. You, this, this life lesson, yeah. uh, at least in this fa fashion. What else did you take from that? Because... Oh. There what was a lot. There was a lot Brian to Murray? that man. We could we could probably stay here for another five hours. I'll always say the two greatest people I've met in my life are my father and Brian Murray. Uh, Brian was Brian never got mad at you, never scolded you. He had a great way to give you life lessons. He was the only time we really got animated was at referees. Sometimes the coaches too, but that's another story. Our own coaches most of the time. But he was such, a, like he was a teacher by trade. And actually so was my father. That's how, and they both had a great way. And I can deal more with Brian because I dealt with him more in my professional life. How to give you life lessons, how to treat people, how to listen to people, how to 
uh, empower your people, how to try to manipulate certain things that you want done the way you should be done. Brian Murray is one of the greatest humans that I've ever met. Uh, There's not enough words that can come on my mouth to praise Brian Murray. I wouldn't be the person that I am without Brian Murray today. Is there a sense of wanting to do him proud? Uh, Is is trying to take this? Yeah, there is. But at the same way, Brian was a bit like my father, and he wanted you to learn by yourself. He'd always say, Pierre, I'm here for advice, but you need to learn. I'll always remember one time I was so mad at the referees after a game. And I went to him, I said, okay, Brian, what do I do? He goes, well, calm down (laughs) first, calm down, which was funny because he'd get very animated. And then he goes, wait the next day. And then, you know, phone the supervisor and ask him how this went. Uh, Or just text him now and say, can I talk to you tomorrow? And he had just a great approach about it, how to do things. And you always want to make him proud, but it, it wasn't a way that, you know, I, I want to make him proud by what I'm doing. I just want to make him proud by it, being the best human being I can be. He talks to you about what you're capable of doing and how to lead and how to kind of take. And yet there was there's still someone above <laughs> uh, in terms of how to deal with um, ownership. Like there's still what you can fully believe is your decision and everything. And then what was he able to teach you about kind of understanding that at the end of the day, there's still somebody else? No, but I think in both in Brian's case and my case, uh, when it comes to Mr. Malnick, he lets us do what we need to do to make the hockey team better. And he's always done that, you know, as far as what I have to do. And at the same time, uh, you know, they're owners of teams. So obviously they're one, they'll want to know what's going on with their team. And, you know, but I think both Brian and I do it in different ways. I think Brian was more on the phone with him and I'm more via email with him. But at the same time, as long as you let in what's going on the team and how you're progressing, you know, there are different situations. I think when Brian was there, they were more trying to, you know, win the cup every year, have the best team. While right now we're in the process of rebuild. So the situations are a bit different. They're they're incredibly different. Yeah, Yeah. we can can leave it there in terms (laughs) of situational differences between that. Uh, You have these wonderful discussions with... You're exposed to men who have lived and breathed this game, right? Going from what your father was like to then, you know, studying and being under Brian Murray for for a a number of years. Uh, And then to kind of getting the go-ahead. Like for you, what was that call like to say, listen, we're giving you this position? Uh, It was almost surreal. It was a few days before the end of the season, and Brian had decided that he was going to step down. And I had met with uh, Mr. Melnick and uh, Mr. Plenner uh, just to give him, you know, they wanted to talk about if I wanted the job or possibility of, of the job. And uh, uh, we talked for a few days, and I got the job, and it was almost surreal. It, what you started dreaming about in a short relative time frame you achieve it, and it, you know you're the general manager of the Auto Centers. Never played one game of pro hockey. Uh, wasn't talented enough to play one game of pro hockey, and you have full hockey control. And your job is to make the team, you know, as competitive as you can. So it was really a uh, it's a sensation that sometimes you can't even describe. Are you looking for your dad at this point? Like, oh, are yeah. you it was, uh, looking to? 
I, I remember the day that I got named, you had the press conference. Uh, my daughter came with me at the press conference. My son was playing. I always remember he was in the Castleman tournament. Um, and they got eliminated, so I couldn't make it there. Uh, but then uh, I went with my daughter, and I said, what do you want? And she's really good eater. She said, I wanted poutine today. I said, that's perfect. So I remember stopping getting her poutine. I dropped her off at home, and then I went and visited my uh, dad's tombstone. And I I have a hard time going visiting my dad's tombstone. I can't go every year on his birthday or anniversary. I've gone maybe, it's been, oh, it's been 20-some years now, and I've probably gone a handful of times because it's too tough for me. And I remember that day I went just to say, you know, look what I've uh, look. I think what we've all accomplished here. You took a little extra time there that day. I did take a bit of extra time. A few tears might have been coming down too. So that's pretty big, yeah, you know. Like yeah. um, at at this point, are you you have the you know the kids? Mm-hmm. Uh, your daughter's able to join you for you yeah. know this celebration is life rocky yeah i I mean as one thing is yeah it's almost funny because as one thing's excelling the other thing's uh degrading at that point i'd separated from uh we separated in i think in 2015 we separated um late 2015 we separated um obviously you get the job in 2000 yeah, 2016 got the job to BGM, and it's very tough. You know, I remember telling her the toughest conversation I've ever had in my life. Um, probably was telling the kids. I always remember is October 23rd, 2015, that mommy and daddy were splitting up, and I remember telling my ex. It was I told her on September 15th, uh, we got to tell the kids that we're not going to be together, and she couldn't do it, so I took the initiative at that point in time to do it. And then uh, that was the toughest conversation I think I've ever had to do. And probably the second toughest one was uh, telling Dave Cameron that he was relieved of his duties. Those are not easy conversations when you end someone's life in the NHL. And just to get back to the point of um, telling the kids and then, you know, then I'm staying at another, I'm staying at Eric's place, a good friend of mine, just while we're, just because you had to do it. Um, we had to split up and he was such a great friend in time of need and I'm still working as assistant GM trying to balance everything my clothes are there and you're trying to balance everything and that's almost in disarray but I never let it affect what I was doing professionally which was good because the ex was good for that yeah I mean you're go- I there's a sense of for me when someone achieves something mm-hmm. that you know and there was a support system through so many of the years and then just at the brink of it all happening yeah. there's there's not the the ability to have share in the joy of it no but there, there's still some some joy in it i think she was happy for me i think she was and um you know i always felt bad because when i got named you know, you talk about your kids, you talk about your dad. I didn't talk about my ex, and I didn't talk about the current girlfriend. I didn't talk about either one of them, and I think both were mad at me, but, you know, you, you can't win those things. Yeah, that's that's a battle. You're yeah. just giving ammunition for, yeah. for for more things on that because they, they play incredible roles. Like, one, 
the role of, of being there through the growth of the career mm -hmm. and the scouting and the building and, and everything that got you to the point where you're at. Mm -hmm. And then someone else what is there to experience a different side of you. Yeah, yeah, but at the same time, one is probably more stressful, more demanding on a relationship. Um, I, at times she'll come to the game and we'll talk about the 30-minute uh, ride car back home where I start talking about 29 minutes where I'm pretty mad if we lost for the first 29 minutes. So that can be tough on a human being too when, you know, uh, when you take uh, the losses so personally. Compared to... Do you uh, take it all incredibly oh, personally? Everyone. Everyone I take so There's hard. a lot of games in a season, uh, Pierre. Like uh, that... Every game, every loss pretty much take it like it's your own fault, which is wrong, which it shouldn't be like that. But every game is like, uh, it's your own personal loss. And well, when you were a scout, it was never like that. When you were a chief scout, you were never like that. When I was assistant GM, it was never like that. But I can tell you as general manager, every loss eats at me inside. And even in a rebuild, even in if you got a team that's trying to win the cup, whatever expectations are, people don't understand how much losses eat it, eat at me. Uh, and not that I, it's about me, but mm -hmm. I'm sure it's like that with a lot of coaches in the NHL. It really takes me a full 12 hours to get back to some kind of normalcy. It's a really crazy way to live. I know. It, it really is. Um, I've just been given like the, yeah. did you see that? Like the, okay, we're, we're, I, I, there's a couple of things that I want to get to because yeah. I think that are important and, and you've been so gracious and kind of being open and honest about things. There are hundreds of thousands of young kids playing hockey. Mm -hmm. The percentage of them making it into the NHL is so minuscule, but as a scout, as someone who knows the game, what for parents to, to kind of instill in their children for coaches, mm. you have grassroots programs, like what are the basis? What is the foundation of what eventually people are going to be looking for as to why one child will stand out over another? Well, obviously, there's always the basics. Like, And I know I'm being general with this answer. Skating, the game is becoming so, so much faster. And over the last five years, the game has become so much faster. So skating is always important. I think you have to have hockey sets to be able to read the play. Your puck handling skills have to be at a certain level. But people forget you have to have fun playing the game. Like, would you say that the, the the players that are in your room right now have fun playing that game this year without a doubt if you would say let's say we've got 22 players in our dressing room right now and you told them you're going to make all under a million to play hockey i would guarantee you probably 20 and i'm just giving you a rough number mm -hmm. out of the 22 would play for a smaller amount of money if they had the choice because they love the game but it's the same thing at the grassroots level coming back. People have to have fun. Coaches have to make it fun. Coaches have to make it fun for the players to come to the rink, whether it's boys or girls. Like my girlfriend's daughter plays hockey, and there's nothing more fun to go watch seeing her play in the enthusiasm and the girls watching. Like I tell everyone, I wish we could have more people playing hockey and I wish the costs weren't that high. If I could change anything in the world of hockey, it'd mm -hmm. be get as many kids playing, build as many arenas as possible, make the game thrive. It's a great game, you know, give out equipment, do all these things that you can't have as many kids playing as possible. 
that's what makes it such a great game. Like it's our national sport. And if we could find a way to just have as many people playing, it'd be the greatest thing ever. You have accessibility. And so you have these kids playing and slowly as they go through the ranks and as they get older, they're slowly dwindling down those that are going to excel and those that are, that are not. At what point is it like that 13, 14, where is the character essential? Where is the selflessness, as you mentioned, is one of the things that you that you'd like to see? Where is this mostly developed so that these these players have an ability, if they're good enough, yeah, to have the I, right mentality and move on? I think it comes from within itself. It can be at, as early as your first year playing IP, where you work and you want to be the hardest working guy, or it can be as you mature and get older and figure it out that you have to work hard to stay at a certain level or the, the one thing where coaches have so much power is you can teach people how to work harder you can teach people to be responsible you can teach people the team concept if there's an one of the proudest moments ever was in spring hockey this year my son there was a two on with an empty net and he could have just put in the net and he passed it to someone else who he could get the empty net goal. To me, that's one of the proudest moments of my son that I've in my life that it was just a selfishness. And another time where I've been so proud, where I saw that unselfishness in him, we were in the Bell Capital Cup last year in the final. It was the third game. They lost one nothing. He got player of the game. He didn't deserve it. He took the medal and gave it to the goalie said you deserve player of the game like that's that's you're i'm more proud of that than this straight a's for my son you know that's unselfishness that's being a team guy that's where you're really proud of but those things i don't know if he would have done that when he would have been in adam but last year he figured it out and are they still learning are do are you have young men that are 18 19 20 21 this is this this is the learning this is Yes. This is where you want them. Yes, you you want them. They're developing. They're learning. You want these people. That's why you can draft so well. But if you don't know how to develop your players, you're never going to have success. And drafting character and surrounding with good people and having good, whether it's eating habits, sleeping habits, training habits, all these things are important in building the good foundation for a player when they get to be pro hockey players. But they can start doing it at a younger age too. So, you know, maybe not doing it at five years old when they're starting, but when they're around 14, 15, 16, so if they ever move on, but it can still teach you good life habits about sleeping well and eating well. Can you still walk into a CJHL game and just go sit in the stands and look down and go, no, this kid, that kid, no? Oh, no, I thought... No, no, okay, no, no. No, but could you... Yeah, without a doubt. Could you walk into a Nepean Raiders game... Without a doubt. Sit down in the stands and go... Yeah. This kid. Uh, not in okay. one game. Uh, the one thing about scouting is people think you can go see a player once. Obviously, you can go see Sidney Crosby and Connor McDavid once and figure it out. But if you gave me three or four games, I could tell you this guy's going to play college hockey. This guy will play minor pro hockey. That guy, I think he'll play NHL. Two, within my level of evaluation, I could do that, no problem. But not under one game. That that would be foolish. If a anyone couple can, of games, but you can distinguish. This is oh, college yeah. bound. This is yep. semi pro. Like depending yeah. on their age, their potential. You always look at strength wise where they are physically mature, uh, mental. Would you maturity. be honest to say this is realistic for you? Oh, without say you've a doubt. got a, the parent sitting next to you. Oh yeah, you have to. 
if you're asked your opinion be and I don't ever pretend to be uh, would ever want to be a doctor but it's the same thing if a doctor was asking you the, assess my child's whatever and you give and if a parent asks you and I always tell them do you want me to be politically correct or do you want to hear the truth and for the most part they want to hear the truth they want to hear the truth sometimes they don't like it mm-hmm. uh, but that's the way it is like sometimes whomever it might be you're asked tell me what you think you're at a major junior game too where it's a 67s level and they say and i say if your kid better go to cis because yeah because that's probably the highest level he'll go so make sure he's good in school have you ever asked someone for that assessment um yourself oh no no um no no i'm uh i think i'm a good self-evaluator sometimes i'm almost too critical on myself so I think from a young age, I knew I wasn't going to be an NHL player. I, that I was good enough to know. And as far as myself, I've asked, I've seen an executive coach who's helped me as far as being the best leader possible. Um, but I'm, I can evaluate. One thing, self evaluation is out, But no, but for you to have sought out your own executive leader, your own coach, in a sense, to be able mm-hmm. to say, "This help me be better at this. Yeah, That yeah. was important for you. Yeah, help me be the best leader I can be because at the same time, I'm the leader of uh, the hockey operations for a big company. and as With m- thousands upon thousands of people watching your every move and every decision. And, yeah. and it was about making sure that I could be the best leader best decision maker you know what did you learn most then of meeting with that person probably the thing i took away the most is that i wasn't a micromanager but i I'd always want to make follow-up on things to make sure they were properly done now i just tell people get it done and i'm part to get it done and if it's not done then there are repercussions but then i don't follow up on it. i think the best leaders and I've loved reading about the great leaders of this world some of them were very quiet in the background sometimes you have to be in the forefront because you're speaking but in the background you let people do what they need to do to excel and at the same time you empower them what sports story would have been the best sports story for you to read best sports story I read I remember reading something, I think it was Jimmy Johnson, and it was more about coaching, how he he needed to treat his superstars in a different manner, but at the same time, I hope it's a, he treated him equally as everyone else. And I know that's a catch-22. I remember reading that, oh, maybe 10 years ago it would have been, and it struck a chord with me that, Okay, yes, you need to validate your stars, but at the same time, they need to be part of it to know that they're part of a team. But that's, let's be realistic. That's a very difficult task. Oh, it's extremely difficult. Like I would think if anyone can master that task. Yeah. uh, To have your superstars and and, and the mainframe. I know it was a football coach. So if I'm off on who it was, maybe it was Vince Lombardi. I I, I know I've, I've read quite a few books about like great coaches and everything. But at the same time, you have to, 
you know, sometimes people who've had success, it's good to take some things from them. So, and there's other people that I've read um, how they 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 did things and you know they manage people and manage staff and it's always important to try to show the utmost respect to people if you want it back to. Do you find that you have that back? I think so. I think uh, amongst my counterparts, I think I have a certain level of respect. Um, but we're always trying to get the best of each other through deals or through player transactions. Uh, amongst my staff, uh, you know, I've always tried to listen to everyone, and it's important sometimes. Sometimes people don't realize how many people that you have under you, as far as you might not have a lot, but it's time-consuming to listen to every one of them, and I try to do that on a daily basis, and that can be a bit tiring and you try to figure out sometimes people's agenda and why they want it a certain way well you don't when you know it's not the right way but you learn from it and you learn to what people don't realize is that a lot of times when you're at the head of something is there's not enough hours in the day yeah there's not enough hours in this i could keep going Mm -hmm. on too at the end of the day though when you go to bed at night Mm -hmm. what what is your main what's your main goal like what are you happy with like if you had to do that gratitude thing today i was happy for this this and this well, i hope my Tomorrow girlfriend I gives want. me a kiss before i go to bed that's always a big goal of mine <laughs> uh, pissed her off yeah yeah I, I, that i do okay. quite regularly and not on purpose um I, I think there's always a saying if you can get better every day but me it's about what a lot of times before i go to bed did I treat people the right way today? And more important, did I learn something that's going to be, make me better the next day? And a lot of times, okay, I'll go through my day. Okay, and what was the thing that I didn't know yesterday that I knew today? And okay, and how is that going to help me moving forward? And sometimes it's it could be something so small. And sometimes the smaller things can be better in the bigger picture. And sometimes it's big that something that you know I learned that about you know, whether I learned this about the coach today and I had no idea and I've been working with him for three years and it doesn't matter. And sometimes it can be, oh my God, I learned this about a certain player today and it's a little thing and it could be family oriented or it could be on ice performance. And in the big scheme of things, it could change things really drastically. And that's why I, those are two things that, you know, that I treat people well and you always want to treat people well. Every fan that's come up to me in the last three years, except for one lady at the Senseplex who started shouting at me this year, uh, I've always tried to take time for. Uh, hey, how's it going? Yeah, and why are you a fan? And I always try to try to take time for people. And that was something that I learned from my dad when he get used to get stopped in the streets in Toronto if we were there for something. And he'd take time for everyone, and i try to do the same. It's a big job to take on. Yeah, yeah. And you, the thing is, is you don't realize it how so many people know you and you don't know them and you just saying hi to someone yeah. can make their day you know and when someone says hi you say hi back you know like you're public figure in Ottawa and I'm sure when you go to the grocery store you get recognized my daughter won't go to the grocery store with me anymore she goes daddy you take so many selfies and you <laughs> talk to people and who knew the ladies that did the groceries want yeah. to talk to you and I said, that's just the way it is. She won't go with me anymore. So it's, it's just something that, that I've but learned to live with. There's an appreciation. You're a general manager in a hockey market. 
you know, in a Canadian hockey market. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a lot that comes with it. It's an everyday. Yeah. There's an everyday reminder, even yeah. when you're in the car and you're getting honked at and given the finger, which I thought uh, was a very honest perspective of things. Last question. Yeah. Where where do you hope? Where, what would you like to see this legacy? What would you hope to leave with this organization? Well, you always want to leave it in better hands that you... Uh, in better shape. Yeah, yeah, better shape that you inherited it in. But it was in pretty good shape when I took it over. So I'm not going to lie to you about that. You just want to always try to make the best move. You always want to, I think, when you're general manager, as much as you got to think short-term, you always got to think medium and long-term. And the one thing is, is that there hasn't been many days where I've waken up and haven't loved this job. And I, every day is a challenge and you try to rise above it and make sure that you do the best for it. I know it's a really generic answer. Well, it is, but there's not many of these jobs. There's only mm-hmm. there's some people that have the same yeah, job as you, right? Like there, There's 31 there, jobs. Yes. I think there's seven See in Canada. See what happens with Seattle. Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah, there's seven in Canada. There's seven, obviously, where you get more recognized. You know, it's funny when you talk to your our American counterparts how our job is totally different. You know, when we come out of GM's meetings in Toronto, for the most part, they want yeah. to talk to the seven Canadian guys and not as much the, the I mean, unless there's something brewing with a yeah. specific team. And it's just, it's a life that we live in. And I, I think we've grown to appreciate it. Actually, I've grown to appreciate it even more. I really liked our chat. So did I, actually. Yeah, and I didn't, I didn't even mention the K name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look what makes him smile. Oh, oh well, yeah. that's okay. Yeah, no, and no text from your friends going WTF. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I appreciate that. And encouragement, it's a great sport. Uh, it's an entrepreneurial mindset, too, eventually, kind of as you, like, this really hits on, on everything. Um, and it's nice to be able to see people getting out and enjoying the games. I, I think what I've liked to see, and I'll just say it, like, it, you know how you said the guys like being on the ice? Like, they would pay for less than a million dollars. Yeah. It's been nice to see the change in the locker room, like, that these guys want to play for each other. Well They said. have something to prove. And I think that makes that you want to root for a team like that. Yeah, it's getting back to the point you were talking about originally about the underdog. We're the underdog this year. But it brings people together. It brings yeah. uh, it brings players closer because yeah. they have something to prove. And this is a close group of players. Yeah, like they all care about each other. It's great that you can as- witness that or assess that because that's the way a lot of us feel this year. It was funny. It was as I was heading in to do this podcast, uh, Tony, you've met my husband. Uh, yes. we were talking about kind of the uh, the um, the All Blacks. Yes, uh, the New, right- New yes. Zealand. Right, and you're talking about one of the winningest sports franchises, mm-hmm. and and how it wasn't always that way, and the, how they changed their charter, yeah. of what the team needed to represent, who mm. the players on this team needed to represent, and I think there was like one of the line it was like no dickheads. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should put that in our dressing room. <laughs> <laughs> you got to appreciate a team that's got yeah, a charter like that. Yeah, I really appreciate a team that has a charter. Honesty sometimes can be. Uh, can be uh, difficult to handle, but it, sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's worked, and they've they've got a nice winning record. So, so yeah. there you have it, Pierre. Thanks so much for oh, taking the time. Man. I know now you got to jump on a train and you got to head to a game. And um, well, by the time this airs next Thursday, it won't. But uh, for those that are listening, uh, Pierre, really appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, best of luck with the new house as you have just moved into. Yeah, uh, moved in I, with my girlfriend. Yeah. It's great. 
boxes everywhere. Yeah. Let's see what it's like on that for the 29 minutes that she has to stay with you in the car if there are the losses. But I like the perspective uh, on things and um, best of luck with everything. I appreciate Thank it. You. And I know that you've listened to some of these podcasts. And so I want to remind you that are those that are uh, listening, uh, you can always uh, head, subscribe, like, share, let people know what the podcast is all about. Uh, and that is a wrap on episode 44 of Living Your Life with Leanne Lang. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com.